Hello there and welcome to episode 66 of the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. I'm your host Gary Turner and today I am super excited to introduce you to Anil Dhani. Anil is a serial entrepreneur, co-founder and CEO of Sense, which is an awesome startup um, recruitment tool and I think you'll find this conversation really, really fascinating. I love learning more about Anil's journey, his passion from his technical background um, and how he's te- using that technical um, and engineering background to try and help rehumanize the recruitment process. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. If you enjoy it as well, we'd really appreciate it if you offer some feedback to us both directly or indeed share the podcast with your network. That would be super appreciated. But for now, enjoy the conversation and we look forward to hearing from you. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And this afternoon, or this morning as it is for Anil, I'm in, excited to introduce you to Anil Dhani, who is co-founder and CEO of a startup called Sense. So welcome to the podcast, Anil. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. Not at all. Thank you so much for joining me, as it's so early for you over there in, uh, in the US. So as we get going, would you mind letting my listeners know a little bit more about you? So what's your background? Anil, and maybe what's brought you to today and uh, your new business sense? Yeah, um, so my background is actually I'm an engineer by training and an aerospace engineer. Uh, So out of school, what I really wanted to do was work on product design and solving business problems. And given my background in engineering, I was an early employee at at an enterprise startup company back in late 1990s. It's called Aviva. And they went down to uh, the company went on to be acquired by SAP, which is obviously a European company for I think over four and a half billion dollars. Um, from then on, I got an MBA um, degree, and then I came back to Silicon Valley and started a bunch of startups. So I've always been in sort of startup mode. Um, I worked on the third largest social networking company back in the day when Facebook used to be number two and MySpace was number one. Uh, From then on, I moved on to uh, founding a startup that was doing mobile gaming. We saw the rise of the App Store and we started launching a bunch of mobile games. Became quite successful. Uh, We grew the team to about 125 people right here in San Francisco and uh, sold the business to the number one Japanese mobile gaming company. Uh, The company is called Gree back in 2012 for a couple of hundred million dollars. Um, so, So I was with them. Till about 2014, and that's when I decided uh, to start Sense with a few, a few of my colleagues who were with me uh, from my past businesses. So today I'm the CEO and co-founder of Sense. It's a platform that actually gives staffing agencies and recruiters the ability to create long-term and hyper-personal relationships, connections with all of their contractors or full-time employees that they place but we can help them do it at scale, which is always a challenge, Gary, as you might know. That's awesome. Thank, thank you so much for that introduction. I'd like certainly want to come back and explore a bit more about the, uh, your business sense. Just yeah. before we go, that, go, go down that route, Anil, I'm really interested in that background of yours around aeronautical engineering, you know, passionate about product design. Do you mind me asking, was that something that 
was with you from an early age? Was it something that you sort of developed within you from, from your younger years? Yeah, so I grew up in, my early days have all been in India. So uh, growing up there, you know, I've always been a tinkerer, always like loved Legos and building things. Um, so, you know, I really wanted to do this degree in aerospace engineering, but one of the challenges that I experienced when I came to the U.S. and started working on my master's uh, was that there was the sense of gratification was sort of missing, this ability to build something very quickly, launch it in the real world and experiment and get feedback from real people was sort of missing that sort of life cycle of product development, unfortunately, in aerospace engineering was really not there. Um, it was also the time when, you know, the internet browser had been invented and four or five years later, there was an internet boom happening here in Silicon Valley. And that's where I saw the opportunity where within minutes I could code up and write up a website and I could throw it on, on the internet and hundreds of thousands and millions of people could access it. So for me, that was my aha moment where I realized I would rather be in an industry and world where there was more of this product instant gratification. So I jumped right into it uh, and sort of I switched my career moving from this hardcore mathematically driven, physics driven, you know, aeronautical engineering to more computer science. That's so, so interesting for me. Um, I love that. Thanks for sharing. I think some of the things that came up for me in your, your description there around, you know, quickly iteration, creating something, you know, you know, regular feedback. You can really see where your passion for startups come from with, uh, with those traits. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are doing that on a day-to-day -day basis and it never really ends. You know, it doesn't matter whether you are just, you know, five people out of a garage that is trying to experiment and launch things fast. It doesn't even end when you're at $50 million, $100 million company because you're still launching new things and you're launching new products and you are still going back to the drawing board and figuring out, will this my 10th product be a hit? Will I find product market fit with this product or this feature? Will it resonate with my customers? So you're always constantly um, trying to reduce the chances of that failure. And you're also really focused on what do my end users, what do my customers think about what I've just recently launched? That's lovely. So if, if we sort of bring that up to date then with, with Sense, your, your, your new business, because what I'm really interested to explore with you as you scale this business, Anil, is how do you, in line with the themes of this podcast, how do you ensure that, you know, that human element when you're really scaling a business? And I'm, you know, I'm really interested to learn from you on this discussion. You know, how do you ensure that you take those human beings with you when you're sort of experiencing hyper growth? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. So there are a couple of things that, that I really like to focus on. One is, obviously, we are selling a product to staffing agencies and recruiting companies. Those are our customers. So I really want to make sure that what we are building is truly solving their business problems versus it being the next shiny objects that you know, Silicon Valley engineers want to build for. So one piece is bringing the customer along in your product journey. So that's super important. Number two is actually looking at your own people, your own employees, and figuring out they might not be coming from recruiting. They might not be coming from staffing, but they might understand this human problem that even when they are unhappy at a job and they start looking and they become candidates, what is their experience like? So they need to, my own employees need to start empathizing with my customers and my customers' problems. 
And if, if I'm able to crack the nut on both sides, making sure that we really live and breathe my customers' problems, and then internally, I can figure out how to get my own people, my own employees, to live and breathe my customers' problems, then I think we have a winning solution. That's really, really powerful. Um, what's, what's really interesting to me, there's, there's something around empathy and actually really trying to see things from your customer's point of view, whilst at the same time really almost crowdsourcing from a diversity point of view. There's many viewpoints there, Anil. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think that the challenge we have is, you know, there will be days. It's tough. It's really tough to have this bold sort of vision. But the challenge on a day-to-day basis is when a customer calls us or emails us or meets us face-to-face and is screaming, it's like, I cannot do without your product, but your product sucks with X and Y. And then my own employees come back to us and say like, hey, the customer is crazy or the customer is not thinking the right way. So on one hand, you want to be customer obsessed. You want to do what's right for the customer. You want to say and have this sort of value that customer is always right. But on the other hand, you really have to balance it out with sometimes, you know, customers are crazy. Sometimes their requests are insane. So how do you sort of balance your own priorities versus what, you know, customers are demanding on a daily basis. So if you don't mind exploring that a bit, because I think that's really interesting. I'm sure it informs your product as well. You know, what, what are, how do you manage those conflicts, those paradoxes at time? Yeah, so I think one of the things that we really focus on is, so customers will request a lot of things, right? So the most famous analogy is like, if, you know, when we had buggies and horse carriages, you know, all people wanted was, for the horse carriages, you know, they were just trying to make them better and better versus trying to build a car that would just beat a horse carriage any given day, right? So if you would just go back and ask your customers the same question around how can we do this better or they're using the current product and they think, how can I make the current product better? They'll be giving you these tactical suggestions. What we try and spend most of our time is not on those tactical requests that come in but actually delving deeper into why are they asking us to do that? At the end of the day, they just want a faster machine. They want a more efficient machine. Recruiters want to build relationships at scale, and they want to figure out how I can do that with modern technology. That's the real problem. The problem is not that I want the best AI solution out there or the best machine learning solution out there. So what we'd really try and do is really try and filter through what is their problem they're living and breathing on a daily basis versus the tactical suggestions that they're trying to give us. Very powerful. And what's interesting for me here is this curiosity piece, Anil. You know, this sounds to me there's a real drive from you and your team. I say to be deeply curious, ask those questions why. But if I'm going to be stereotypical for a moment, I don't like to be, but... Like when you think about software engineering and computer science, it's not necessarily the most obvious sector to think about deep curiosity in the way that you're speaking to it. So I'm wondering, how do you find recruiting people for your business that are deeply curious, but also fantastic engineers? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I think we have, one thing we are very lucky with is everyone's been a candidate. Everyone's gone through a candidate experience or multiple candidate experiences whether through a staffing agency or directly when they apply to enterprises and clients, right? So they have really felt the angst and the pain 
when random recruiters are calling them on a consistent basis and you know what the market is like today. So they are being called upon literally on a weekly, daily basis, some of the best engineers. And they are being pitched random things without the recruiter knowing what exactly am I pitching? What, what is the story that I'm crafting for these candidates? So the beauty is, and I'm very lucky about that, with that is like they understand that the candidate experience and the candidate journey is pretty broken. And even some of the best recruiters don't really understand how best to tell their story. Uh, so I think from, from an engineering perspective, I've been pretty lucky that, uh, you know, my folks have been very close to this problem statement that we are trying to solve for. Um, and then it's all around building that, those, that solution that really tries to attack and solve that key part of the problem. Great. If you wouldn't mind me um, exploring with you as well, Anil, I'm really interested. You know, you're a serial entrepreneur, you know, angel investor. What are some of the sort of challenges, if I may ask, have you overcome, aside, the, you know, aside from the obvious ones around sort of raising funds, etc., in terms of you personally around sort of stepping into your courage, your having to be vulnerable, not to know an answer, etc. Would you mind sharing an example for our listeners to get you to know you a little bit deeper from that point of view? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I can go back uh, just to my last company, which turned out to be a really successful exit for, for me. Um, but, you know, it, it was not a rosy story. So a lot of things that you read in publications and you say, think about, wow, this company was an overnight success. Um, we, we were successful. Within three years, we exited the business for over $200 million. But, but the first year was so challenging. We were building a mobile game application and uh, we were building these games, online games. And one of the first things we decided was let's build a game for Facebook. So in 2009 to 2010, we started building these games for the Facebook platform. And while we were building this amazing game, what ended up happening was Facebook changed all their um, viral channels and they basically found that games were very spammy, the users were getting turned off with Facebook, so they went ahead and turned all those channels off. And here we were, having spent a million dollars of our investment that we had raised, and, um, and we had built this game for Facebook, and Facebook just turned off all marketing and distribution. Wow. So, so um, you know, and we were a team of 15 people, and we looked at each other, we launched the game, and it was a dud. It did not succeed. It blew up. And what was left with us was we had another million dollars in the bank and we said, what do we do next? But I go back to, this has been my core tenet ever since I've started building companies, worked in startups, is this is a very famous line from, a, from an investor here called Vinod Khosla. And he says, the team you build is the company you build. And I truly, truly believe that. And when we looked at each other and said, okay, what do we do now? with only a million dollars in the bank, 15 people whose salaries need to be paid, and can we give ourselves one more chance to execute and to launch a game, but this time, not on Facebook, we launch it on mobile on the App Store. And you know, what it takes is not just having to figure out the business side, not just having to figure out game design, how it would work in mobile, but from my engineers, they had to figure out how do we build apps they had not built apps before, mobile apps. They knew web technology, but they didn't know mobile technology. And Gary, fast forward a year, we built this game. It was called Crime City. 
It reached the number one top free game on the App Store. It reached number one top grossing app on the App Store when we launched. Obviously, we got lucky with the timing, but it just shows that as long as you craft and build a team that is resilient, that is you know, open to feedback and is constantly learning, you can out-execute even the best business plans. Wow, well, I'm, I'm literally buzzing. I mean, as you share that story, because I think resilience, feedback, you know, communication, it, it, these are things that I think, regardless whether you're in high tech like yourself or in traditional businesses, they're not always things that we're taught at school, you know, how to give feedback well, how to listen well, how to develop resilience. Now, how, what's your view on that? How do you help your team as you continue to, to grow your business, develop those different skills at that very human level? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And it's something that we take very seriously and we actually interview for that right in our hiring process. So it's not all about, so we have certain values at Sense that we believe that everyone should um, subscribe to and aspire to, but when we are even interviewing candidates, what we are gauging them on is they might not even have those values today, or they might not realize that those values are important. But we want to know that when they are actually part of Sense, can they actually walk those values? Will they be actually able to grow into those values? So that's key. So one of, so number one, I would say is during hiring phase, you want to make sure that you're hiring people who are great communicators, who are open, who are transparent, who are team players, who are collaborators. Um, so that's, that's, I would say, is like our number one thing that we tend to do. Number two is as the team continues to grow, uh, we actually do a lot of things that are tactical, right? So all the way from every single conference room in the company is transparent. That means they have, we have glass walls. You can see everybody who's in the conference room, who's meeting. Uh, we have we weekly one-on-ones with our folks. We do uh, twice a month all hands where we share every single number. Uh, we will literally take our board deck that we present to the board of directors and we will take the board deck and we will present it to the entire company once every six weeks or once every eight weeks whenever the board meeting happens. So there's a real deep ingrained culture of collaboration, of sharing, and of transparency. And I think what that instills is people understand what a true North Star is and employees strive harder and harder to become better and to become problem solvers and collaborators versus individual islands or just individual rock stars. Yeah, that, that, that really resonates actually. And I, I really love actually, Anil, how you not only have people recruiting and living and breathing your values, but actually your physical environment espouses those values. <laughs> yeah, that has been key. That has been key for us. And, you know, and, and candidates who are not comfortable with that, they're welcome not to join us. They're welcome to turn it down. And that way we automatically filter out people who are not good fits for us. That is so fascinating. And how are you as a business at the moment? What sort of, what sort of number of people do you have within Sense? You know, what's the plans for Sense over the next sort of six months, 12 months? Yeah, so it is really exciting times. So we have scaled to, we have over 200 customers globally. Um, we have we work with seven of the ten largest staffing companies agencies in the US. You might be familiar with some of them like Adeco, uh, Recruit out of Japan, 
uh, Kelly Services, you know, folks like those. Um, we have raised over $23.5 million, and our backers include, investors include, folks like, you know, Google Ventures, Excel. Um, the team is up to 65 people, and we are a distributed team, though most of our folks are here, right here in San Francisco. We have presence in Chicago. We have an engineering office also in Bangalore, India. Awesome. And in terms of your sort of the, the demographic of your team, you say you've got some people over in India, you've got most of you in Silicon Valley. Hmm. What's, what's it going to look like for you in sort of one, two, three years time? What, what are you looking to scale towards? Is there an exit planned in a few years time? Or is this something you're going to look to, to hold on to for something longer term? Or is that not something you can, you can speak to at this stage? Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm happy to speak, speak about it. I mean, our, we don't think about an exit plan per se. What we think about is the impact that we are having. That's number one. So are we continuing to have the impact? Are we continuing to transform the industry that we set out to transform? And then number three, which is the most important part, as a team, are we having fun doing it? Is it becoming a grind or is it, is it still fun? Is it still challenging? Are we still solving our customers' core problems? And I think as long as we hit those uh, key points, we will continue growing and building up the team. I believe the future of workplace is remote distributed. So I envision the team to be extremely global in its footprint, in nature. Uh, we might have engineers in, in India, we might have customer success, salespeople distributed uh, globally, whether we are targeting the UK market, Australia, US, it doesn't really matter. So, so I'm hoping in a couple of years, we are close to 200, 300 people, but it's a globally distributed team. That's awesome. It's certainly something I see an awful lot, whether you're talking HR, whether you're talking tech, you know, it's, it's just so interesting that if you look in Europe, I'm not sure on your side of the pond, Anil, but even the conversation around flexible working, which seems so obvious for you in the, the world that you're in, it's actually still quite a, an early stage conversation over here in Europe around actually the trust element of allowing people to work from a location that isn't in an office. So I find it quite interesting. I'm not sure if that's um, something you really experience because you're so heavily in tech, but do you know where I'm coming from with that? Yeah, absolutely. So we do see that in the knowledge worker space, it is becoming a lot more common here in the US. And also, uh, so today, the Sense platform is sold exclusively to staffing agencies and recruiting agencies that are placing temp labor or contingent labor or gig workers, as you might um, uh, know them in, in the UK. But more and more, we are seeing direct hire firms coming to us and full-time uh, enterprises coming to us and saying, hey, what you build is relevant for us. And, and it's really interesting for us to notice that in knowledge worker space, because of lack of critical skill sets in particular regions, startups and big, larger companies are being forced to open up offices in a more remote distributed manner. Now, where the challenge I think still remains of this flexible workforce is in the light industrial and the blue collar workforce, where obviously, you know, um, I am FedEx and I have an office or a big warehouse somewhere and that's where I need my labor. So it's very hard to do remote work that way. No, absolutely fair point. I think, I think what's interesting is, and you know, I, I see this quite regularly myself over here, is that just that, just that, you know, you spoke about transparency and, um, you know, trust and these, these really human elements is, 
I still think there's quite a mental shift for a lot of leadership teams and probably more in sort of, as you say, white collar, blue collar industries to actually relinquish that control and really trust your people to do what they're going to do remotely. Absolutely. And, you know, I go back to, are you really focused at the end of the day? Are you really focused on results or you're focused on activities? And I feel sometimes uh, some companies and even some HR departments become too focused on activities, rules, processes, and they sort of drop the ball when it comes to the output, the end result. Um, and, and, I, and I talk to a lot of HR leaders and sometimes they also get so geeky with the technology that's coming out there. Oh my God, I can measure people's productivity. I can sift through all their emails. I can sift through the Slack channels and IM messages um, versus thinking through, wait, like, why is that important? Like, what are we really trying to achieve um, versus just this data geeking problem where, oh, I'm going to get so much data about people that I'll be, supposedly, I'll be able to do some magic with it. <laughs> and and um, I, think, I think there's a really fine balance there between what all you, can, you want to record, what all you want to store, what all you want to analyze versus focusing on inspiring people, showing them the purpose, uh, making them better collaborators and team players. Um, I, I think I would love to see the balance move more towards that focus versus just in measuring some of these uh, more geeky things. Uh, that, that speaks so, so loudly to me, uh, Anil. It's, re it's really fascinating, actually. I've done some work with a, a team over here in Europe, and it's incredible how the myopic focus on just a metric um, as an end in itself and not actually to solve that problem is still quite prevalent in, in, in a lot of workplaces. Agreed. <clears throat> uh, but very, very interesting. So as we start to wrap up, um, I'd just like to ask you, you know, who or what is inspiring you the most right now, Neil, in the space? So you're, you're working at disrupting the, the temporary contingent market in terms of recruitment. Is there anything in particular that's inspiring you? Maybe something now or something on the horizon um, that you'd like to share with myself or my listeners? Yeah, I mean, Gary, as we all know, there's a real war for talent um, that is going on, especially in the knowledge worker space. But even in the blue collar space, uh, people are trying to switch from this vision of like, let's stop talking about putting bodies, placing bodies in, in workplace, but really trying to figure out like, is it just simply matching people to an opportunity or is it matching people to an opportunity where they're going to thrive? where they're going to be productive and they're going to have high engagement and productivity. So for us, that's the vision of the company. That's why I started Sense. It's not just about seeing somebody's you know, uh, job requirement and then matching it to a resume, which is how we think about, let's solve it with technology, match words to words. <laughs> I really see where we are really trying to go to is how do I place that amazing candidate at the right opportunity with the right set of teams and the right set of people where they're going to thrive, where the career is going to rise, where they're going to learn new things and they're going to become problem solvers and better team players. So I think focusing on that and not just focusing on one piece of the problem. So a lot of companies, a lot of platforms and tools focus on, for example, candidate experience. But then they sort of forget and drop the ball around the whole life cycle. It's not just about them being a candidate. It's 
when they're a candidate, what happens to them? It's when they sign the offer letter and when they actually start on site, what happens with them? Are they happy at the role? Do they like the hiring manager? Do they like the projects they work on? So having that 360 view around your talent is I think where the world is going. Empowering recruiters and staffing companies to be more human in their approach is where we feel the world is going. And being as obsessed about your talent as you are about your clients is where we feel the world is going. Well, that is so exciting. And it's been a few years since I've actually gone through um, any formal staffing agency, Anil, but it's so refreshing. Not only, you know, you're not just like, say, trying to solve a problem, but you're going a step further for me, which is genuinely trying to rehumanize the recruitment process. Absolutely. That's number one priority for us. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. No, it's wonderful. Honestly, no, we need more sense in the world, that's for sure, on, on multiple levels. <laughs> so how can people reach out to you? How can people follow up with you and learn a bit more about Sense? Should they be interested? Yeah, so um, our website, our web presence is www.sensehq.com, as in S-E-N-S-E, sensehq.com. And my email is anil at sensehq.com. So very open, again, just like our open culture, we love to hear from more professionals, more people in the space. The more we learn, uh, the better we get. Wonderful. Well, look, I really appreciate your time today. Grateful that we're connected now, Anil, and I uh, look forward to following your journey. Yeah, thanks so much. Keep up the great work. Appreciate your time. Take care. Bye-bye. Hi, Gary Turner, wrapping up this excellent conversation with Anil Dhani. Just wanted to share a few of my reflections in case they're helpful for you. The big one for me is actually around this absolute clarity that Anil and his team have, that they need to be solving a problem, not just developing the next shiny thing to sell to people, to add extra complexity to people. They really want to be solving a real-world problem. And for them, that's around the contingent labour market. I love how they speak to the fact that they believe that organisations are definitely moving towards being more human in their approach. And he feels that the world is going to be as obsessed about their talent as they are about their clients. And that's where they seriously see the world going. And I can absolutely share that view myself. This was also interesting. And I feel really inspired as an ex-recruitment consultant of many years gone by, um, where he spoke about the fact that they really want to place amazing candidates at the opportunity with the right set of teams, with the right set of people where they're going to thrive. That is not the recruitment methodology, that is not the recruitment purpose and meaning that I've ever experienced in my life, in my 42 years on the planet. So I'm so, so inspired to hear of this startup, this developing organization sense, truly putting the human at the center of their technology. And this is an important point. In my own work and organization, I know many others, this digitalization trend in inverted commas, is very much for me lipstick on a pig so it's people trying to actually put in place enough technology as a license to trade rather than actually using technology to transform their organization from something that it was to something that it needs to be to serve humanity uh, in a better way so i really love how this platform sense is technology is an enabler to humanity and not as a disabler which is quite often the case I enjoyed how Anil spoke about the fact that my own employees need to start empathizing with my customers and my customers' problems. How to get my own people, my own employees to live and breathe my customer problems, then we have a winning solution. 
So there's a lot of talk about employee experience, customer experience, and all of that's hyper valid. What I really like here is really, again, Anil is really speaking to the fact that everybody owns this process. Everybody is jointly responsible for bringing this vision to life. And what better way to do that than with a fantastic, deeply human-centered culture? And I love the rituals that Anil spoke about around the fact that every conference room in the organization has transparent, clear glass. So could you imagine that? Oh my God, I, can, I can't imagine many organizations in my world being happy with that level of transparency. So not only metaphorically, in terms of how we speak, how we communicate, but literally and physically, having literal transparent rooms all around the place. I just think that's such a powerful um, example of espousing a culture. They have weekly one-to-ones, they have twice per week all hands where they share every single number. So speaking to a little bit of the work I've done with World Blue in the past on their Freedom Sense of Leadership program, where they have, um, I think it's John Case wrote a book called Open Book Management, um, fantastic book and it's very much a case of what Anil and his team are living and, and breathing so it's just this beautiful um, alignment for me of their mission which is to rehumanize or yeah to rehumanize uh, the contingent labor market but also they bring that to life by genuinely allowing everyone to bring their full humanity by ensuring they operate with transparency and finally I think this is a really important point and this can be a blocker from leaders, but also from HR departments. And Neil speaks to the fact that some companies and HR departments become too focused on activities, rules, and process, and sort of drop the ball around the output to the end result. So my challenge to anybody that's in HR or a people function, or indeed anybody that's in a leadership role, is where are you spending your time right now? And when I be in my time, I mean your energy. Where is your energy being used? Is it on reinforcing processes, redesigning handbooks, trying to smooth recruitment processes? Now, none of that is bad. I'm not making a judgment. But is that the best use of our time? Or are there better, um, newer ways of working? I'm thinking of the uh, Buckminster Fuller uh, quotation, which is one of my favorites. And I'm going to bastardize this a little bit, but it's something around that you cannot challenge the existing reality. You have to make the existing reality obsolete. So what are you doing, anyone listening to this podcast, to help transform the state of your organization, the state of how you interact on a human level. I'd love to hear from you if you've got any stories of that, what challenges you're dealing with. I'd love to get you or anyone you think is useful on the podcast to talk about that. But I just think Anil has given such rich insight and I'm so, so excited about their platform, but also being made aware of an intentional tech platform that really does have the human-centered element at its core. Um, I've not heard much about that to date. Um, it's normally a lot more of what tact, uh, a tactical reason to make profit or to expand market share. And whilst all of that's important, I just love the deep humanity of what um, Anil and Sense are trying to achieve. So please do give him feedback directly. You'll find the, his contact details in the show notes of this podcast. You can find my details. You find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on at Gary Turner Zero on Twitter. That's Gary with two R's. I'd love to hear from you. I'd appreciate any feedback, what you take away, what you would challenge from this conversation. But please get involved. Please engage with the content. Um, I'd love to hear from you. And we'd also love to hear what works, what doesn't with you. And again, if you've got any guests that you think could add value that really want to have a conversation below the surface around the stuff that really makes us human, I'd love to hear from you. So until next time, I'm Gary Turner. This is Value Through Vulnerability. And I really hope that you've taken some value from this conversation. Thank you. Thank you.